Welcome to On DoD on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. And glad you're with us this week. This week's show sponsored by ProPricer. On the program this time, the Defense Production Act. It's a special presidential authority we heard about quite a bit toward the beginning of the pandemic as the Trump administration used it to procure personal protective equipment, vaccine-related supplies, and other materials. But President Biden has promised to take things a bit further, using the DPA to ramp up vaccine production even further and speed up the distribution process. On today's show, we're going to hear from two former defense officials who were involved in using the DPA in past administrations. Later on in the program, Jerry McGinn, a former top official in DOD's Office of Manufacturing and Industrial-Based Policy. First up, though, we'll hear from Andrew Hunter. He served in several acquisition positions in DOD, most recently as the director of the Joint Rapid Acquisition Cell. He's now director of the Defense Industrial Initiatives Group at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Both of our guests spoke with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. So it's a, uh, a statute with quite a vintage going back to the 1950s, um, adopted kind of during the Cold War and during and, and in the buildup of the Korean War to help coordinate uh, production for, for, the, for war efforts. Uh, and, uh, you know, used extensively in its initial years by the Truman administration, there was a lot of lessons learned out of that. Congress scaled back some of the authorities under the law, uh, but kept it around, found uh, usefulness in it, and um, has over the years and in the decades since then expanded it uh, towards emergencies beyond war, uh, including healthcare emergencies, homeland security emergencies, and uh, response to, to natural disasters. And of course, it's in some of those, uh, you know, obviously in the response to the pandemic that we've been seeing it in the last couple of years. And what it does is allows uh, the government to uh, allocate and prioritize production of, of critical supplies. In the case of COVID, it's been key items needed for testing like swabs, nitrile gloves, vials used uh, to hold the vaccine. Uh, some of the precursor materials for both the vaccine and for pharmaceutical treatments, uh, therapeutic treatments uh, for COVID. So they've really been using it uh, across the board to help in the effort to respond to this to this emergency. And when it comes to the acquisition cycle of things, I mean, you know, obviously the government is not very fast at acquisition. This act sort of speeds things up in a way. Well, it's it's got uh, long-standing authorities, uh, and it's it's a law, by the way, which many different parts of the U.S. government have, have a hand in. So the Commerce Department can set up these priority ratings and say that uh, if a company has a, a product on which one of these priority ratings is placed, they have to sell that product first uh, to the federal government. Uh, the, the, the government takes priority in the production of that uh, of that item. So that can be something that speeds things up. It doesn't speed up the letting of the contract. That's still, you know, you know, there are other ways in which the contracts can be accelerated. But what it does is make sure that uh, among all the competing interests trying to get, you know, some of that, the government will be at the head of the line. And that definitely, you know, can speed things up because you're no longer competing with other uh, other folks in the marketplace in the same way who who would like to buy some of that material. The primary thing that that brings to the equation in a situation like we have today is it gives you the ability to coordinate. You know, when there is a shortage and when 
as as we've seen, right? When you've got different states and localities and different sectors of industry competing with one another over scarce resources for testing, scarce resources for uh, for uh, developing, producing, and distributing vaccines, it gives the government the ability to coordinate all of the stakeholders so that uh, everyone gets hopefully enough. And then it can also almost commandeer certain industries to prioritize as well. So not only will the government be first in line, but maybe, you know, if you're a steel company, you might be working toward, you know, building guns rather than building cars or something like that, right? Yeah. In fact, what, you know, one of the classic uses of the Defense Production Act was when the Truman administration uh, sought to use it to end uh, strikes in the steel industry. So uh, steel happens to be a particularly relevant, uh, historically relevant example. Getting to now in 2020 and 2021, we saw the Trump administration invoke the DPA pretty early on in the pandemic. How did we see the Trump administration using it? And you know, how did that sort of evolve throughout the Trump administration as the pandemic changed as well? They used it a fair amount at first, uh, you know, as the as the crisis hit, as it became clear that there was an emergency and President Trump declared a national emergency around COVID. Um, they were, you know, they used it quite a bit to set priorities um, and to try and get the testing, uh, trying to ramp up the government's approach to testing. Uh, and so Defense Production Act was something they used quite a bit in that regime. Uh, and they identified some shortages in PPE, for example. And so they used Defense Production Act authorities, one of which is they can actually use government money to expand supply, to, to kind of pay industry to uh, to build new factories uh, and um, and support their ability to do that, uh, they use those authorities. So uh, I would say in the initial kind of uh, push and the realization that there was an emergency happening, uh, they, they used some of the authorities of the DPA early on to spur production of PPE and to uh, try and uh, gin up uh, the system for testing. Uh, but I think it's also fair to say that the focus shifted a bit uh, and they 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 focused less on testing and uh, less on allocating PPE, uh, decided to leave that primarily to the states and focused the federal government effort more on the vaccine. Uh, and the vaccine was not an area where vaccine development was not an area where the Defense Production Act had as much application uh, because, you know, the vaccine was something that didn't exist yet. Uh, <laughs> When, when, when they turned their attention to it in the, in the first half of 2020. Uh, and the Defense Production Act is primarily about, you know, how do we expand existing production or allocate production that already exists? In the case of the vaccines, there wasn't production. So they kind of moved in a different direction and started using other things like other transaction uh, authority agreements uh, to, to spur vaccine development and vaccine production. And uh, Defense Production Act got a lot you know, got less usage as the crisis went on. We've seen now in the past couple of weeks that President Biden has now invoked uh, DPA as well. And so I was wondering if you happen to know the, the nuances between, you know, why he needed to invoke it. You know, does it go from, from administration to administration like that? The, the authority itself carries over. Reiterating the national emergency, uh, uh, you know, definitely keeps the Defense Production Act authorities in play. Uh, it also gave them, you know, an opportunity to expand the description of the of the emergency, uh, you know, and in this case, you know, there's likely to be or under the Biden administration's plan, what he's hoping to accomplish is a much bigger increase in testing uh, capability 
uh, a more federally directed approach to uh, vaccine distribution and to uh, continuing on PPE production and, uh, and masks and other things. So uh, I think the, what the Biden administration's uh, steps are about is uh, creating a more federally directed response to COVID uh, and expanding the scope of what the federal government is working on uh, to give more support to the states with testing and and um, and PPE. Andrew Hunter, former defense acquisition official who now leads the Defense Industrial Initiatives Group at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. More of his conversation with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni about how the Biden administration might use the DPA after a short break. This is on DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbia. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. As we return to our conversation with Andrew Hunter, former director of the DOD Joint Rapid, Rapid Acquisition Cell, now director of the Defense Industrial Initiatives Group at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He talked about the Biden administration's use of the Defense Production Act with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. The Biden administration's use of the DPA is going to be evolving, and we're going to see it change partly because, maybe because the ideology of the administration has changed since COVID has become a a political issue, but also because the nature of COVID itself has changed since we have a vaccine and we also are just sort of changing our our way of looking at this disease and the the different variants that are coming out and all that sort of thing. So what might we see in the future and, and how might that change under the Biden administration? So clearly a more centrally managed federal response where the federal government kind of uh, assigns itself uh, uh, top line responsibility uh, and says, you know, this is this is the entity. The federal government is the entity that is responsible for resolving this crisis. Uh, clearly, you know, the U.S. government's a federal system. There's still going to be state and local roles and very large roles uh, in the response. But the idea being that this now will be one where the federal government takes primary and central responsibility. Uh, and the other piece is, you know, a perception that this is this is a, a situation that's not going to resolve itself by itself. You know, that only through uh, significant government efforts uh, is the crisis going to be brought under control. Uh, you know, with the, with the Trump administration, and this is something President Trump articulated multiple times, there was this sense that you know we needed to endure this, but eventually, you know, the crisis would pass and it would kind of pass a little bit on its own. Uh, and so they did engage in activities. You know, they did they did a lot with the DPA uh, to try and uh, deal with the crisis uh, on a you know month to month basis. But there was always this sense that the solution was not a government solution. It was you know that the you know that the private sector and the, the nature of the virus would eventually uh, it would it would die down. Uh, I think with the Biden administration, there's very much a sense that only through a uh, concerted Government effort uh, is, you know, is the is the crisis truly going to be managed and and ultimately resolved? And so I think they're going to stick with it. Uh, they're not just going to say, okay, you know, once all these vaccines are distributed and we've got 70% of the population immunized, you know, government, you know, dust our hands off, we're done. Uh, I think they're going to continue to manage to focus on surveillance of the various variants, 
uh, to ensure that you can follow up the vaccine, because of course we don't know at this point uh, how long uh, the, the protection that the vaccine provides will last. And so they're going to be looking at this as a multi-year effort uh, that isn't going to be over anytime soon. Do you think the amount of money and amount of contracts that are going to be awarded under the Biden administration will be the more, and I realize that this is kind of an apples to oranges considering the Trump administration only had it for a certain amount of time and the Biden has the opportunity for four years of DPA, but do you think that Biden will be using DPA a lot more than the Trump administration did? I think they will this year. For sure. Uh, you know, I think, you know, that's an estimate, obviously. And, and as I mentioned, there, there was significant DPA actions that happened in the past year, although they tailed off uh, after the immediate crisis. I think you won't see that that tailing off effect. The Biden administration seems determined to use the DPA aggressively initially and and on a continuing basis uh, until they're convinced that the crisis is truly passed. Have there been any concerns uh, in using the DPA? Have we seen waste, fraud, and abuse? Have we seen issues with authorities, you know, those sorts of things? Yeah, I mean, I would say that there have been concerns for sure. Uh, You know, there was the sort of notorious uh, loan to Kodak that was repudiated, uh, and I think it's still sort of on hold. And so there was some concern about whether that had been thought through, whether the, the, you know, whether it made sense and whether it was carried out using uh, all the right, you know, criteria and predictions that you would hope the federal government would undertake before uh, engaging in a major contract, a major uh, loan agreement in that case. So, that, you know, I think there are some issues that will be reviewed, right, by the incoming team to see what was the basis for this decision, what are what is the financial arrangement. Uh, is this something that we would want to continue or is this something that we would we would halt uh, and and not continue? So I, th- I think there's, you know, that one is one that's notable. There may be some others that, you know, that folks are going to want to take a close look at. Um, it's also true, I think, that there's been growth, you know. So the uh, in the DPA, the, the, the ability to give loan agreements uh, has been there statutorily, but there hasn't really been a mechanism for doing it. That's something that the Trump administration created. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, it, it could be that that mechanism is – imperfect and that it gets adjusted. But I think the idea that you would want to have uh, some ability to loan financing is something that um, that people are going to be interested in continuing. And the other thing that they put in some work on, but where I think there may be more that can be done, is on voluntary agreements. Uh, Title VII of the DPA gets into voluntary agreements where, you know, companies can work with the government to help uh, plan for you know, expansions of production or coordination of the marketplace that, you know, would be protected from things like antitrust. And um, so there's there's a lot of, uh, I think, thought that some those that voluntary agreement authority could be uh, something that would would really lend itself to this crisis. Uh, but again, there hasn't necessarily been a, a clear mechanism for how to do that. And, and there have been some uh, initial efforts under the Trump administration to figure that out. And I think that's an area the incoming administration will also be looking at very closely. How have companies handled this? You know, obviously, this affects the way that market exists, because the government is dictating uh, certain things. You know, has this hurt companies in any way? Has it helped them in any way? I haven't heard, you know, too many companies saying that that, that it's hurt them. Um, so uh, that it's not impossible that that could happen. But I, I haven't seen, you know, folks making that argument to date. Uh, it's something you know, probably worth keeping an eye on, but uh, it just hasn't, you know, hasn't surfaced as a big concern 
yet. Um, you know, the, I guess the one area where that, that maybe has come up is this question of, you know, uh, with the federal government in charge, w- w- would the efforts of the federal government only be for Americans? You know, in the Trump administration, uh, I think even did a, an executive order that said, you know, only after every American is, you know, immunized would we ever consider allowing any of the vaccines that are being produced uh, to go overseas. And some vaccine manufacturers, as, as you probably know, didn't didn't want to take uh, U.S. Uh, money for the research and development effort, in part because they didn't want to be boxed in on where they could where they could sell and distribute the vaccine. Uh, and and so that that that's one issue that has arisen is kind of the, uh, you know, what under the Trump administration you might have called the America first aspect of uh, the federal right. government's approach. Uh, and, you know, obviously that, that could continue to be an issue. And that's the biggest flashpoint that I've seen kind of come up so far. Andrew Hunter is director of the Defense Industrial Initiatives Group at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, formerly the director of DOD's Joint Rapid Acquisition Cell. He talked with my colleague Scott Massioni. Another break, and we'll continue our coverage of the Defense Production Act. Jerry McGinn, the executive director of the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University, joins us. That's next on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. Thanks for listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. As we continue to dig into the Defense Production Act and how the Biden administration might use it for its coronavirus response, our next guest is one of the leading experts on the DPA, what it allows, and how it's been used throughout history. Jerry McGinn is the former top career official in DOD's Office of Manufacturing and Industrial Based Policy. He's now the executive director of the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University. He shared his views on the DPA with my colleague Scott Massioni. The DPA, the Defense Production Act, was created for just this kind of purpose. It was created, signed into law in 1951 by President Truman for real national emergencies to give the president authority to, to produce, you know, to produce things in the industrial base. And so it was tailor-made for an event like um, COVID. Uh, and they've been using it um, pretty aggressively um, since since March. The DPA overall has been used prior to the pandemic. Um, there's three major titles of the law. Um which, you know, that are active. That's sort of in Title One and Title Three and then Title Seven. Title One is the ability essentially to, to either uh, control the allocation or distribution of goods uh, in um, across the United States for uh, in case of emergency. So you've got two authorities within that. One is the distribution, which may, essentially allows you to rate contracts to say this governmental priority is higher than anything else that you're producing company X. So you will deliver on this contract um, um, before you do anything else, uh, and that that authority has been is been used for years. It's been um, it was done during the Iraq War to produce MRAPs. It is done for support space launch. It's a regularly used authority, and they used it here uh, in um, in the COVID response for vaccine supply chain materials and the like. Um, the second part of Title I is, is the allocation authority, which is the more powerful authority in the sense that it allows the government to essentially take control of the of a specific market area in terms of 
you know, the production, direct the production of uh, something like ventilators or PPE production or the like, which um, is, um, you know, which would say that the government could just say company X, you do this, company Y, you do this. Uh, and so put more kind of over control uh, on the uh, on the area that's rarely been used. Um, it was used selectively during the COVID response in 2020. But President Trump used it in a strange way. He used it essentially to direct companies to build the ventilators um, like GM or whatever. And it was more of a negotiating tactic than it was use of the authority, in my view. So so that's Title I. Title Three is the um, um, is the ability to use grants or loans or purchases to uh, build capacity in the industrial base. And that is that essentially is production. That is um, building factories, uh, increasing factory production, that kind of activity. And a lot of a number of act, um, projects were started and um, funded in Mar in April and May to help increase um, pharmaceutical production, that kind of stuff, or build vaccine injectors and disposal vaccine injectors instead of having to vials and needles and the like. So you know, there's hundreds of millions of dollars were put in some of those projects during. The earlier in the year, and those continue to come out regularly. Um, that's an authority that's been used for many, many years to build defense kit things. So, but now they've been using it quite a bit for PPE, and the Biden administration plans to do even more. Uh, as part of Title Three, one of the things the Trump administration did is they set up a, a loan authority under Title Three, which hadn't been done in a, a, at least 50 years. So that allowed um, a loans. To be given for the same kind of purposes that regular projects are launched. Uh, and then the final one title is Title Seven, which is where the foreign investment, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, that's what that falls under. And also there are what's called voluntary agreements where government industry agrees on some some topic. And they just um, signed, uh, finished a, a, um, a voluntary agreement in, I think, August between FEMA and industry that set guidelines for future pandemic response. So that's sort of how title, uh, how DPA has been used in, most in the past year or so. I was wondering, as someone who has worked in the Department of Defense in acquisition, how does DPA work for you? You know, is it something that is helpful? Can it be a burden sometimes, especially when you're working on certain priorities? Is it something that, that is really nice to have in your toolbox? How does it work for you? It's a really powerful authority, uh, which is great because it, it does. It's not a authority for DOD. It's the authority of the president, right? So it, it, it allows, um, you know, where there's not a, a need in the Army or the Navy for something, but there's an overall national need, it allows you to, 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 to build that capacity, you know, like rare earth production and processing small UAVs. Now, there's been a number of actions done there outside of COVID, plus COVID stuff. Uh, the challenge is, you know, the DPA has specific rules and regulations you have to follow. They're pretty complex um, and uh, take some time. Um, but luckily, they during COVID they they streamlined them dramatically, so they were able to get you know go from the initial need to a contract within within a month, uh, which in general usually takes a couple of years because the 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 president has to personally sign the authorization to use Title Three. It's called a presidential termination. Then the money has to be funded. Then the competition has to be done. So it takes a while, but so that's a challenge. The time can be, but again, during COVID, they were able to accelerate it. And the other challenge with the, the DPA is um, Title Three, at least, is that um, 
you have to have to get support within the Pentagon for something to 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 do it right. It's got to be something that's um, got a champion, you know, beyond um, just the um, Office of Secretary of Defense. When you were working with companies, whenever you had to do DPA, I assume it would be different. You're not always working with the defense company. We've seen uh, things go to GE, to Kodiak, to companies that are not defense related. How does that work out for the Defense Department? Those kind of projects are, yeah. So prior to the COVID, that, that was not the case. There were mostly, you know, kind of defense manufacturers. But uh, during COVID, there have been a number of non-traditionals. And the um, DOD has the authority for the execution of the program. So what, what, what would happen in those cases, they brought in, you know, HHS, ex- health and human services experts or medical experts to really kind of um, uh, help uh, define the requirements and oversee the, the actual selection uh, of the, um, the winning uh, bidder. So, you know, it's something that, you know, DOD has sort of the, the infrastructure to do it. But in the case of COVID, they, you know, they would work very closely with, um, either FEMA or, you know, HHS to, to do the, the DPA things that need to do. Have you found working with companies that can be burdensome for them? Um, you know, this is a, a change in the way that the market works. They're not working on the things they necessarily want to work on, right? Well, it, it's not really that. It's just, it's, um, for traditional defense contractors, it's a little, it's not exactly the same, you know, you, you don't, uh, as you do, um, you know, an RFI, an RFP for a competition. Um, there is an RFP for these, um, so they do a proposal, but it's just different. Um, the, uh, the the issue is there are some commercial companies get involved, um, like in like that are not defense contractors. Like in the case of rare earths, there were a bunch of mines that were you know, bid on that work. Them doing these um, DoD processes was not particularly easy, uh, you know, and. It takes longer than the commercial market, uh, and it can be challenging for them. So you gave us some ideas on how the Trump administration used the DPA. Now we have the Biden administration. They've signaled that they're also going to be using it. How do you think that they'll be using it, and, and how might it, might it differ from the Trump administration? Uh, I think they'll use it. Uh, I think they, I definitely think they will continue to use the president stated as, as much. Um, I think they're going to build on, um, I think they're going to closely look at what the Trump administration did in terms of their use of the DPA, and, and then they're going to build on that. Um, I would expect them to do uh, more um, vaccine or uh, COVID-related uh, Title III projects than the Trump administration did, uh, and um, to be less reticent to um, to use the allocation authority. To, like If they really feel that um, vaccine production is is not um you know meeting the needs then they they could take over that kind of that the how that's done um from the private sector i think they they may be inclined to do that i'm not sure that they will because you know we already have two vaccines um um in production the two companies are on contract to deliver uh, enough vaccine doses that 200 million americans will be uh, inoculated by um, t- July, so uh, which is was that was already the plan in December. So um, they, I, I could see that Biden administration wanted to accelerate that, um, if, um, and they could use BPA for that. I'm not sure if it's necessary, you know, sort of, um, you know, because the only way that I think they could um, do it was if they had, um, you know, if the companies are producing vaccine 
at their max production rate, um, you know, to, to reach their current kind of plans, uh, then, you know, it's, which it would be not surprising, right? This is the, the worldwide pandemic. So I'm sure they're producing as much as possible. But if they aren't, you could, you know, direct the company to do that. Um, or, and, or you could use DPA to say, you know what? Uh, this vaccine is so important, for, um, Pfizer. I want you to do um, less production of this vaccine, this, um, this, uh, I don't know, pharmaceutical for cancer treatment and more production of the COVID vaccine. And they could um, do that. That would be a very heavy handed, but, um, you know, that, that is an option for the, the Biden administration. So, I, but I would expect them to, and they've said this, you know, use all available tools in a um, systematic way. Uh, going forward. As far as the way that the coronavirus has changed, you know, in the Trump administration in the early days, we saw lots of PPE, lots of masks, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, now we have vaccines, now we have different variants. Do you see any change in the way we might use it? No, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's sort of going to follow where the need is, right? Um, and interestingly, you know, I mean, there, the EPA was used to buy a whole lot of masks, um, but, you know, we haven't really had a sustained shortage of any kind of magnitude in PPE since March, really. And likewise, uh, you know, the vaccine delivery, um, there's not really been a shortage of vaccine as much as there's been, you know, challenges getting it in people's arms. And that's sort of a learning curve. So, I mean, I I think that DPA will continue to be an important tool, particularly for, um, you know, using it either for distribution allocation authority. I'm not sure how much they'll do um, for the Title III, which is bigger, longer term projects. The challenge with DPA and this is something that that um, you're gonna, the administration has to balance, is that th- there's a reason why, commercial reason why th- the production of of, of um, PPE masks, uh, pharmaceuticals, um, why they went o- overseas, why they went and largely ended up in China, was because there wasn't a commercial business case for doing the United States. So if you rebuild that that um, facilities, you build facilities to do these things. Um, you got they've got to have business case beyond COVID, right? So otherwise, you're going to build factories and then they're going to close, um, you know, after the pandemic passes. So there's a balancing that's required under the law. Actually, the DPA is you know is this uh, you know commercial viability you know um, longer term. So so that's something that's going to be that I think the administration needs to consider you know, they use DPA going forward. It's Jerry McGinn, the executive director of the Center for Government Contracting at George Mason University and former official in DOD's Office of Manufacturing and Industrial-Based Policy, talking with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. Earlier in the program, we heard from Andrew Hunter, the director of the Defense Industrial Initiatives Group at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, for his views on the DPA. If you missed that conversation, this week's full program, as always, will be available on our website, federalnewsnetwork.com slash ondod, and in our podcast feed. Subscribe to ondod on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD, brought to you by ProPricer. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbi. It's Omar. You've been listening to On DoD on Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 